0: All right. Well, this morning we are going to uh, continue our um, journey through Daniel, and really uh, today is uh, an appropriate day for the passage that we are looking at, which is the last part of the tenth chapter of uh, the last part of the tenth chapter of Daniel. Certainly, when we look at uh, what goes on in the world, and most recently in Paris yesterday, you know it's depressing, uh, and uh, you wonder sometimes where is God in all of this. Sometimes people ask that question, and uh, people wonder when will it all end, and and uh, you know how can these things be stopped, and. And those are all right questions, by the way. You know, um, uh, people seeking uh, answers. Uh, If you remember, uh, and on uh, September 11th in 2001, for a brief period of time, a brief period of time, right after that, people were really asking questions, and there seemed to be a vulnerability and a. Uh, A real uh, seeking for answers. Uh, And perhaps now in Europe, that will be also, perhaps. Uh, But really, the answer is uh, ultimately all related to what God is doing in the world, in one way, shape, or form. Uh, And here in Daniel chapter 10, Daniel was kind of wondering what God was doing in the world. Daniel had been praying uh, and asking God when this captivity would end. He knew from uh, the uh, prophet Jeremiah that uh, the days would end. And so we know in chapter 9, he prays this great prayer of confession, right? Uh, on behalf of, uh, of uh, the Jewish people everywhere for repentance so that this, these days would end and there would be a return to the land. And, and of course, he gets an answer, right? He gets uh, uh, this answer that Gabriel gives him, and that is uh, that uh, this return is not the, the end of the story, but there ultimately will be an ultimate end to exile. There will be an ultimate end of sin. There will be an ultimate end of transgression. Uh, that, you know, there will be, uh, you know, all of what has been promised will indeed come to pass. Now here in chapter 10, uh, time has passed, uh, and uh, Daniel continues to pray, and he's kind of, he's mourning. We we saw this last time. He's mourning. He prays for three weeks, and he's acting like somebody died, Uh, and uh, he, uh, once again, Uh, He has this visitation, right? And we saw last time, first, he has this visitation from this glorious being of some sort that is very similar to this vision that Ezekiel has of God in the first chapter of Ezekiel. And also, by the way, in the ninth chapter of of Ezekiel. Now, in Daniel chapter 10, this being never identifies himself, uh, and has never called anything. So uh, we're just going to kind of leave it there too, you, you know, and just recognize that, that he had this visitation from, uh, from God, from a representative of God, uh, one who uh, Daniel, uh, you know, recognizes as such. Just to refresh our memory in verse uh, 5 and 6, he says, I lifted my eyes... And look, and behold, there was a certain man dressed in linen, which, by the way, is a reminder or a representative of priesthood, uh, whose waist was girded with a belt of pure gold and of Ufaz. His body also was like beryl, and his face had the appearance of lightning. His eyes were like flaming torches. His arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a tumult. You know, it's interesting that Daniel sees this kind of picture. That this is the kind of picture, I I think it's scary. I don't know about you. It's not so much like, you know, this picture of God with his arms open and come and sit on my lap and uh, and I'll keep you warm and cozy. This is like scary stuff, you know. But he sees this bigger than life being. All right. And uh, we see his reaction is a great dread fell on, fell on the people that were around him, we see. They couldn't see it, but they knew something was going on, like we said last time, and they ran away. And we likened this kind of like when Paul had this visitation of the Lord on the Damascus road. You know, that's kind of what happened. So then it says, so I, left alone, I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me, and I turned pale, right? My natural color turned to a deathly palette, and I retained no strength. Uh, all right, and so then we see um, he falls in a deep, into a deep sleep. And in verse 10, behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And now uh, uh, there's speaking. And he says, O Daniel, man of high esteem, understand the words I'm about to tell you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. And then he said to me, don't be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard and I have come to respond in response to your words." So now Daniel is going to get yet uh, a word uh, of of revelation. Uh, And uh, now we see that he says, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief priests, princes, came to, me, came to help me, for I have been left there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to give you an understanding of what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision pertains to the days uh, yet, uh, yet future. And when he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. And behold, one who resembled a human being was touching my lips. And then I opened my mouth and spoke and said to him who was standing before me, O my Lord, as a result of the vision, anguish has come upon me and I have retained no strength. For how can such a servant of my Lord talk with such as my Lord? Uh, For As for me, there remains just now no strength uh, in me, nor has any breath been left in me. And this one with human appearance, touched me again, and strengthened me. And he said, O man of high esteem, do not be afraid. Peace will be with you. Take courage and be courageous. Now as soon as he spoke to me, I received strength. And he said, May my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you understand why I came to you? But I shall now return to fight against the prince of Persia. So I am going forth, and behold, the prince of Greece is about to come. However, I will tell you what is inscribed in the, written, in the writing of truth. Yet there is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces except Michael, your prince. Okay, so there's, first of all, we want to understand what's happening here. I'm going to uh, suggest, you know when we talk about Moses going up the mountain in Exodus? Sometimes in the Torah study, when we, when we go over it or in our, in our um, uh, Torah class at MSI, I like to say, you know, we're not quite sure exactly how many times Moses went up the mountain. When you read it, it's a little ambiguous. So I'm going to say when it comes to these beings here, we don't know if there's one, if there's two, or if there's three that are speaking to, uh, uh, that are appearing and speaking to uh, Daniel. Uh, most people say, too, uh, that he had some kind of a, perhaps uh, an appearance of the Lord and then of, uh, of an angel and some So others will say, oh, the first one is Michael, uh, the angel, the archangel. And the second one, the one who speaks to him, is uh, Gabriel. I say the text doesn't tell us. And so we don't know, right? A lot of money is to be made by guessing, that's for sure. Uh, You know, Uh, but we don't know. But what we do know is, is that he has this angelic, uh, uh, this angelic uh, visitation, okay? So one of the things we learn right away is that, boy, in his prayers, there's there's things that go on that the eye does not see. That's the first thing we get here. Things go on that the eyes do not see. Daniel is praying, uh, uh, and what he sees is that... Uh, Things don't seem to be working out exactly the way that um, he's anticipating. And he's and he's mourning over it and he's praying. And so uh, he has this visitation. He is first he's afraid because it's very unusual, right? It's scary. The whole thing's kind of scary looking, right? But then he's comforted by this or these angelic beings. Don't be afraid, don't be afraid. And he's complimented, he's encouraged about who he is, you know, and how, and how he's understood before God, right? So he kind of like gets his act together and stands up, you know? Uh, but then the, this angelic being gives him some information. It's kind of interesting. The main thrust, <laughs> the main thrust of the second half of the chapter is basically that Daniel is going to receive truth about the future. Okay? But it's the extra information that the, that the angelic being gives him that really uh, makes us scratch our head. Okay? Uh, but when, when he says, this is why it took me so long. He's, you know, Daniel's been praying and the angel basically says, I'm here to tell you the future. But let me tell you why it took me three weeks to get here. And it's the, the reason that it took him three weeks is what really uh, gets us going and, and thinking But first, let us remember what the purpose is, that Daniel is going to receive a a prophetic statement about the future, about a future cataclysmic event, about a future war, okay? Now, the reason that this is so important is because first, uh, Daniel is going to understand in chapters 11 and 12, chapter 10 is actually an introduction to chapters 11 and 12, that in chapter 11 especially, we're going to see uh, uh, how there is a war in this world that typifies or is a picture of the cataclysmic cataclysmic eschatological end-time war. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and of course, it's called the, the truth. So Daniel is going to get this word, and, and what it tells us is not only that, oh, there's going to be a war or wars, but that God has this under control, even if Daniel doesn't understand what it means or what these wars are, or even if we don't understand what war, why, why wars are or what they are, that this uh, emissary from God is going to give him words of truth uh, about uh, the future, so that it's not out of control. It's not as if the God of Daniel is impotent or uh, you know uh, has no uh, power, uh, um, uh, but that yes, indeed, disp- despite war uh, that is coming, uh, God indeed is in uh, control. Okay. So now another thing that we see here. Uh, in in this is that um, uh, not only will there be a war, but that in the invisible world, you know, it's all spiritual. We don't say physical and spiritual. Okay? Because the physical is also spiritual. Better the visible and the invisible. Okay? In the invisible world, okay, Uh, There's all kinds of activity uh, uh, going on, and here what we read about is a, a warfare taking place in the invisible, angelic world, and that somehow it mirrors or it influences or it's related to war in this world. Unfortunately, the text doesn't exactly tell us how. Or, you know, we don't want to say, we would never say that the war in the heavenlies or in the invisible is the real one and that this is like a, um, a shadow of it. That's actually, uh, that comes from um, Plato and uh, elsewhere, you know. Uh, that's not what we would say uh, at all. Uh, we could say perhaps that, Somehow war in this world is influenced somehow in the invisible angelic realm. Another thing we could say is that what we do know is is that there is a prince of Persia and there's a prince of Greece and that they mirror their enemies of God just as Persia and Greece are enemies of God. And uh, uh, that uh, that there is uh, at least now in Daniel's time, we'll talk about what happens when Yeshua comes, but that there is this warfare that actually keeps this angelic being occupied, and gives him a difficult time in getting there, and he needs the help of another angelic being, and thankfully he says who that is. That is Michael. Okay uh, Michael, uh, who is called one of the chief princes. Wow. Now that could give some of us, uh, you know, just a wonderful several hour discussion on what do you mean one of them? You know, uh, isn't he the archangel, the guardian of Israel? Well, yes, but here it says one of the chief princes. Well, isn't that great? It's just the, the wonders of God, you know, the wonders of God. Now, Michael, <clears throat> you know, here's a little Hebrew for you. Uh, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. You know how we like to sing Micha Mocha, <coughs> who is like you, right? So, uh, who is like uh, who is like God is Michael. Micha Mi Michael, who is like God, and that's what Michael's name means. Who is like God? Uh, and uh, Michael appears here as a, like a warrior angel, right? And interestingly enough, he appears in a couple of places in the New Covenant. I won't take the time to look at both of them. One's in Jude and the other, oh, the, in the first chapter. And the other one is, anybody, anybody get that? Yeah, it took a little while. Okay. There's only one, uh, okay. Anyway, uh, and then in uh, the revelation of John, but there we'll turn for just a second, in the 12th chapter, okay, in uh, verses seven and nine, and there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels waging war against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough. And there was no longer a place found for them in heaven, and the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who was called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And so we see Michael is this uh, like a chief angel, waging war, a protector of um, uh, you know of uh, Israel. Of Daniel and his people, Uh, and we see that he had to come to the rescue so that this angelic being who's speaking to Daniel could give him this message. So, but that raises the whole issue for us of you know angelic beings and warfare and and all of that. Well, if we're familiar with uh, the Tanakh, we know that there are many places. I mean, lots of them. When you think about it, of places where angels are protecting the people, like in the wilderness wanderings, the angels are in front of the people and behind the people, uh, and uh, they serve a protecting uh, a role. Uh, Joshua sees the captain of the Lord of Armies, the Lord of the captain of the Lord of, of, of hosts, uh, and so there does seem to be. Uh, this uh, invisible activity going on that plays a role in what happens to nations in this world. In other words, there's more than meets the eye. We read in uh, lots of other passages, one of them like in Isaiah chapter 24, in verse uh, 21, it says there, so it will happen in that day. And by the way, when you read in that day, that day usually refers to, again, that end time day, that end time period of time when there will be cataclysmic events in this world, uh, having you know, physical events of uh, upheaval of the, of the physical earth. Uh, and uh, then there'll also be, uh, you know, this cataclysmic war. All right. So it will happen in that day that the Lord will punish the hosts of heaven on high and the kings of the earth on earth, and they will be gathered together like prisoners in the dungeon, and will be confined in prison, and after many days they will be punished. Then the moon will be abashed and the sun ashamed, for the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion in Jerusalem, and his glory will be before his elders. All I want to say about that passage is, it epitomizes, like many passages, where God is a warrior, God is fighting uh, uh, against uh, evil forces, invisible and visible evil forces. Okay? Uh, it's clear from the Bible uh, that, uh, again, that the reason there are wars is not just because of whatever geopolitical stuff is going on, but that there's more than meets the eye. And no, we don't understand all of it, but we understand enough to know that God is involved. God is involved, okay? Now, if you go all the way back to uh, Genesis chapter 3, there we see uh, where, so to speak, it kind of begins, where you have Uh, The uh, serpent, who is identified in the revelation of John, uh, is representing uh, Satan, right? Uh, And causes conflict. The end result of the uh, fall of man is conflict. Conflict between people, conflict between God and people, conflict between the animal world and the human world, conflict, Okay. Uh, and uh, as we, we see, and we could take a lot of places in the Bible and see where uh, God fights against enemies, visible and invisible. And that once you have the calling of, of Israel, God protects, it. generally speaking, God protects Israel because they're carrying out his word, whether in obedience or in disobedience. And forces of darkness in the flesh, uh, being in the form of nations, peoples and nations, right? He fights against. Sometimes he even uses the evil nations to judge and to chastise Israel, okay? But God is involved. We take that for granted. God is involved in these acts of war. That's what the Bible, the Bible actually doesn't use this term, but people use this term holy war. Holy war could be defined as the activity of God, not the activity of people who are self-righteous, you know, but the activity of God fighting in this world. Again, that we don't completely understand, but we see by observation that it happens. Okay? All right. Now, it's quite interesting here uh, that when Yeshua comes, that when Yeshua comes, immediately, there is this thing with Yeshua and Satan, right? And Satan is doing everything possible. You can read about it in the third chapter of uh, Matthew and elsewhere, that Satan does everything possible to get Yeshua to manifest himself as a king now, to do everything so that he does not fulfill his mission of ultimately being raised from the dead, of ultimately dying so that he can be raised from the dead. So it's interesting when you read the Gospels, you notice that there's a lot of um, demonic activity going on in the Gospels, a lot of satanic activity, demonic activity. You see, what we see now is, is that in the coming of Yeshua, the son, you know, the, the enfleshment of God, now comes, so to speak, the big battle of sorts, God and Satan, and that's why you see a lot of uh, a lot of um, uh, you know, Yeshua uh, um, um, releasing people from a, a demonic activity. It's not just him showing how powerful he is to people. And it's not just he loves people so much that he doesn't want them to have demons. It's that this is this battle that had been waged since Adam and Eve. And that now the Messiah has come into the world to defeat this enemy. And without taking all the time, you see, and when he when they come to look for his body, there's angels all over the place, right? Uh, there's angelic activity taking place. But succinctly, Paul says in Colossians chapter two, in verse fifteen, when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Okay? He's talking about his death if we start a few verses back. Okay? And this is what Yeshua did. He has disarmed the enemy. He has defeated sin and death. Yeshua has defeated sin and death. He has defeated the enemy. But in the very same way that we might say, well, I've embraced Yeshua, but now there's still a battle of the flesh and the spirit. So in the very same way that the ultimate war is won, but there's still a battle that wages. Just like we might say, you know, uh, in World War II, how after uh, D-Day, right, the handwriting was, so to speak, on the wall about the end of the war, but it still took lots of death and dying for it to play out. And so, it's not a perfect illustration, but it kind of, gives us the, the idea that Yeshua defeated the enemy. But it's not until Yeshua will manifest himself in this world again when we will see all of the manifestations of that. Today, we must embrace him in order to experience that. And so wars in this world continue of good and evil. There is still angelic battles being waged, evidently, that... Uh, that play out in this world. And so just like in Daniel's day, we could still say that there's more than meets the eye when we see battles waging in this world because they are a reflection of the heart of man. And in the, the heart of man, in the heart of you and I, there's still a battle being waged. Uh, Paul talks about it in the book of Galatians. There's a battle between flesh uh, and spirit. But in another place, in Ephesians chapter 6, he says quite clearly in verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert. And with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And then he goes on to say to pray, and in particular, don't forget to pray for me. Uh, So what he is saying here is that there is victory in the Lord. Stand firm. There's victory in the Lord. When we embrace Yeshua... Remember, the Bible says he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. This is not like uh, God and Satan are are having this tug of war and they're actually equals and we're the rope and may the strongest one win. God has already won, but but the battle is still being played out. And so when we embrace Yeshua and the Ruach, the Spirit of God comes to indwell us, we can stand firm. We need to believe that. We can stand firm, okay? Uh, but the problem is, is when we, so to speak, don't stand firm. <laughs> uh, I mean, he says here, he, the reason he says stand firm is because we don't always stand firm. Take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. It's interesting, if you go back uh, to the fourth chapter... In verses 26 and 27 of Ephesians chapter 4, he says also, be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give who an opportunity? Do not give the devil an opportunity. So that means, see, we give him opportunity. We, get, we give the invisible evil one an opportunity when we are not strong in our walk with the Lord. That doesn't mean as the ancient sage Flip Wilson used to say, the devil made me do it, okay? No, we are the ones uh, who, you know, in our lives, we, one thing we all want is control, don't we? We always want control of something, right? But do you know, as you walk with the Lord, you have the, you have the God of Israel dwelling in you. And as you walk with him, there is empowerment to overcome the evil one see? And in this world, in nations, if nations would turn to God, they would exhibit the fruit of the Spirit and not the deeds of the flesh. And if they exhibited the fruit of the Spirit, they would turn uh, their weapons of warfare into farming utensils, right? But they don't. They simply mirror the individual heart separated from God. And so there is this battle that that wages both visible and invisible and so in our world for you and i we could say that this battle wages on three fronts on the battle of evil in this world just evil that that front and center in this world i the uh, the battle that we have when we share the good news of yeshua and the battle in our own beings in our own hearts The battle for our own heart. And so what do we do? Okay, so we can acknowledge there is this warfare. There is this invisible war being waged. And it plays out in some way, shape, or form in this very world. So what can we do? Should we just make more warfare? Maybe God has given us, as Messiah followers, a particular empowerment to be able to do something about this on all three fronts. And what does, uh, what do we read in this passage in the sixth chapter of Ephesians? Well, without without going into all the details, I'll just say this. One of the things uh, that we have is the word of God, right? Uh, You read here, um, let's see, and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, okay? So there, knowing the word of God, knowing the word of God, and I say knowing, I don't mean just having knowledge, like you've memorized all the books of the Bible. I don't mean that kind of knowledge. I mean that you have the word in your heart, and that when you are tempted, or when uh, there's an issue, when you're confronted with evil of some sort, to be able to say the word of God. And the word of God is powerful, and can break uh, the uh, you know the issues of of evil and temptation when we when in our volition in our will we desire righteousness we're not in this alone God is not the co-pilot okay uh, and and so when we desire it He's given us the tools one is the Word of God another biggie is prayer I mean that's how He ends the whole thing with prayer and petition. And he says, pray at all times in the Spirit. And in the Spirit means empowered by the Spirit of God. Uh, and that's what it means. If you know the Lord, this, the Ruach is in you, you are empowered to pray this way. And he says, with this in view, be on the alert, with all perseverance and petition for the saints. Be on the alert. Don't just pray, you know, sort of like, Lord, I love you, you love me, and and, you know, and uh, and all that. But be aware of what's going on in the world. Watch the news. And rather than order a pizza and watch the news, pray. And what I mean by that is oftentimes what we do is when some big world event is going on, it's almost like watching a movie. Like we just cannot get enough of it. Right? And uh, I, But I say, let's pray about it. Intercede. That's what God calls us to do. Because he dwells within us, and we can pray against the forces of darkness. And let me just say this, that when we talk about, you know, in a way, it's so, so obvious to us. You know, we used to say, or maybe we still say, you know, it used to be kind of like, you know, a nation would come against another nation, and so you know who the enemy is, and you go and attack that nation, But now it's more like an ideology, right? It's more like a belief. But doesn't that just make it more obvious? It makes it more obvious that there are particular beliefs in this world that are the schemes of the devil. And when people do what we see going on in France or here or elsewhere, those are things to pray against. Allah is not the same thing as the God of Israel by another name. Nothing against these people. They're pawns. We love those people. We want them to know the Lord. We, we don't want anyone to suffer. We want all to come to faith in, in Yeshua. But we must recognize we got to pray against it. Not just talk about it and vote for particular people for president. Like that's going to make some kind of difference. Let us not confuse patriotism and our calling as believers to pray. Because you see, when we say Yeshua has broken into this world, and yes, he is the king, it's not just he's the king and how great that is. He's a king and he's a He's a warrior king, fighting against the enemy. Yes, in his death and resurrection, the war has been won, but there's still a fight. And we are called to be part of that battle, whether we like it or not, when we embrace Yeshua. And we need to be making sure that our prayers are effective. Our prayers are effective if we're walking in righteousness, if we're walking in holiness. We have a role to play in this world. Let us get to it. And so when we go back to Daniel, he gives us a little glimpse here that there's more than meets the eye. And the wonderful thing is for us to know is that whatever we see battles wage in this world, that's not the end of the story that Yeshua is coming back, that God has won the victory in the death and resurrection of Yeshua, and he will be manifested in this world, and there will be indeed a new heaven and a new earth, and there, there is a great world coming, but like Paul says, yes, even we ourselves groan waiting for the day of the redemption of our body. And in the meantime, let us fight the good fight with prayer, with the word of God, with walking with Him, and we will see victory. And so may we be encouraged to recognize that when we see these terrible things happen in this world, what we are seeing, is, you know, Satan, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, is the God of this world. But the God of Israel, in Yeshua the Messiah, is more powerful. And the day will show it. And so let us be people who stand above those circumstances and have the words of hope. And have the words of life. And may we demonstrate it in our own lives, in our own relationships, in our own community. And may the world see it, take notice, and embrace the God of Israel. And be saved from the snares of the devil. Let's pray. Lord uh, God, thank you God that we are not in a losing battle. Thank you Lord that we are, we are on the, the side of the victor. And thank you, Lord, that yes, you have wrought this victory. But Lord, the world still refuses to embrace you. And we still see the ramifications of that in horrible activities in this world that beget other horrible activities, that beget other horrible activities. Lord, may we turn to you, Lord. May we fight against the enemy with prayer, with your word, with the good news of Yeshua, with godliness, Lord, and Lord, may we see that victory. Come, Lord Yeshua, manifest, Lord, that promise. Like Daniel, we pray, Lord, bring it to pass. Like Daniel, Lord, we pray, Lord, we confess the sins of our people, Israel, of unbelief in you, and of this world, Lord, who makes fun of you, who demeans you, who glorifies sin everywhere. Lord, we confess those sins to you, Lord. We pray, Lord, for intercession on behalf of the godless. May they repent, Lord. May you bring conviction to the soul of this world. And may the world repent and return to you, Lord. We love, Lord, yes, our people Israel. And we want them to know you. And we love the Arab people, Lord. And we pray that they would know you. And Lord, we pray for the African people and Asian people and European people and all peoples of this world, Lord, that they would turn to you, Lord, the one who really can deliver what we all want, love, joy, peace, kindness, self-control, and things like that, only through you, Lord. Lord, thank you, God, that you indeed are the Messiah. You have sent Yeshua into this world. God, we look forward to that day. And may we be encouraged to know that day is coming. May we be encouraged, Lord, uh, to fight that good fight. We pray in Yeshua's name.